Sydney, you and I are like family. And family doesn't always podcast eye to eye. Bam. Okay, you Ow. know, honestly, I think that's probably the best you could have done without stepping into cultural appropriation territory at this point. Oh, absolutely. I'm not doing that, like, I'm 10% bullshit. Not here. Not, <laughs> not in this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I will not stand for that. Not here. Not now. Not never. Not ever. Um, yes. So I decided to just take a big sidestep and do my slightly below average Vincent D'Onofrio. There we go. Yes. Which is one of the classic... It really is one of those voices where it's, like, perfectly... Like, everyone thinks they can do it, but no one can actually do it. It, it could potentially be a lot of different things. Like, it's potentially an impression of a lot of different characters. Right. I, it, it, it's, and he doesn't... What's funny is, I don't think I've ever heard of Vincent D'Onofrio interview, so I don't know if he just sounds no, like that or not. I'm sure he doesn't. I don't think he does. Right? Because <laughs> I've seen him in other movies. I know I've seen him in other movies. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Disney Desk, everyone. Carter here. And I'm Sydney. And welcome to our first Marvel Minute of 2024. Wow, that sounds crazy to say. It's, pr- it's our first yeah. Marvel Minute in a long time. Oh, yes. Well, you know what a part of it is? Like, I mean, I guess, again, we're in a weird spot with the MCU where it's like, there weren't a lot of interesting discussion points other than angst. Um, yeah. Like, the discourse just, they really Star Wars the discourse where it's not fun to talk about. And on top right. of that, we also we also made the, you know, we added a sub-show, like, in the show, you know, Internet Minute and um, uh, Let's Go to the Movies, specifically so we could talk about stuff that just came out without taking right. up an entire... We, like, we realized it's like, you know, it's not worth wasting an entire... We only get four of these, maybe five a month. Why are we wasting one on a movie discussion? I also like, don't think like we enjoy... if it's not like an interesting historical talk. Yeah, I don't think we necessarily enjoy going beat for beat like reviewing things every now and again we do right we're going to today right but <laughs> yeah but that's just like a part of our conversation right yeah because mm-hmm. like and like i hate to go inside baseball another time but i i can't speak for you but at least for me it's just like it kind of comes from the place that i keep saying of like art deserves to exist for any reason like the yeah thumbs up thumbs down sort of criticism kind of bores me now where i'm like well right. it already exists so let's break it down and like really get engage with, with it. it yeah yeah, and it's hard to do that for new releases because you're like, well, then I'm just going to tell you everything that happens, and that's not really <laughs> right. fair because you might not have gotten to see it yet. Right, exactly. Yeah, but, um, and also, like, I keep, there's a couple episodes where I should have used the Marvel Minute branding and I didn't, like, I honestly think our Dream Team Avengers episode is one of my favorites, but for it's some reason one. I didn't put the branding on it. I don't know. You know, I think another thing... It's a weird time to be, like, a Marvel fan. Right. Which is weird because it's, like, what does being a Marvel fan mean at this point? Because it's, like, when your franchise is the biggest franchise on the planet, it's, like, isn't it just being a movie? Isn't it just being a blockbuster fan then? Isn't it just being an action fan? But even, it's weird, it's a weird time to be a comic book movie fan i get like it's i still see the distinction like i kind of still see the subcategory of like all right there's blockbuster movie fans but then there are like the hardcore inside fans you know right 
Yeah, last year going into this year very much was like a transition point. Like it felt like there was blood in the water for the whole comic book movie thing in mm-hmm. general. Like what again, I think a lot of it is branding and once people decide, all right, Endgame really should be the end, you're not going to beat that branding unless you really come up with something new. Right. And the fact that Quantum Mania and what Shazam 2 and which is a shame cuz I really like the first Shazam. Um, were like the first out of the gate and like, you know, the sort of capper to the whole year was the Flash being exactly as bad as everyone had feared. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, then the narrative sticks that it's like, oh, it's Jover. It's over for all of these, you know. Did you see Blue Blue Beetle? No, and I'm very mad that I didn't go see it in theaters because, like, I know one ticket doesn't make a difference, but that one was, by all accounts, that one is actually charming and nice. It very much is in the Marvel space of this thing got left holding the bag for other movies' fuck-ups. I just, it, it was just a mistake to put it out in the market at the same time as Barbie. Yes. I, and Oppenheimer. And like, right. Which, on one hand, I'm like, it's, it's a similar problem Disney had with Wish in the Marvels, where I'm like, why are you bunching up all your releases? Yeah. There's 12 months. Right. Like, it's supposed to be your 100th anniversary. Space it out, guys. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, no one knew Barbie was going to be that big. Like, again, for me, it fell in the Mario camp of like, well... It's the Barbie movie. It's going to make a lot of money. But even then, I'm like, Jesus, Christmas, this is a lot of money. Right, yeah. Like, an unprecedented amount of money for, like, what is nominally an original idea? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, that's that's interesting. And now that we're sort of creeping up on award season, that that question is is popping up more and more. Like, how do we categorize this thing? very angry. I didn't expect us to not know how to categorize this thing. Right, I really, look, at the end of the day, like, I simultaneously hate award season but love award season because I'm a pedantic nerd about, like, you know, how we tell the story of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, Bills fans, we need to chill out about the Josh Allen MVP stuff. He's not going to win it, and that's okay. He's just, you know, this the narrative got said in advance, it's okay. But, um, yeah, and I really think you just, I really think they have to set a rule that, like, you have to announce what it is as you're releasing the movie. Mm. Like, even for stuff like Haunted Mansion, where you're like, this isn't going to make any awards. But on the off chance it does, we have, like, it's here. all of our, like, categorizations yeah. in place. Right. Because it's also, like, acting ones. Like, they jerk right. around with, like, who's supporting, who's considered um, lead. Who's or, considered well, I guess lead. that's more clear, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then it's like, they just mix, you know, it throws a pipe wrench into the entire, like, end of the year, where it's like, oh, suddenly we have to think, you know, it changes how people think about the awards at the last possible minute. Right. Anyway, should we tell them um, what we're actually talking about today? I, I don't think we've mentioned it once. Oh, yeah. Well, we said Marvel, so people can probably reasonably guess, right? So we are <laughs> talking about, so Marvel actually has a pretty dry year this year. They're not releasing too much, but one of their big releases of the year is a um, limited series called a Marvel Spotlight, which is their new branding. Which took me uh, by surprise, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. I heard about it in advance, and we'll talk about that once we actually get into the episode. But we are talking about Echo, which is centered on the character Maya Lopez and sort of the... it. It's funny that we, like, hyped up uh, Hawkeye so much. And right. one of, like, the three things they're releasing this year is a... Um, a spinoff? Is returning... Yeah, it, kind of a spinoff. Like, it is interesting, and we'll talk about it with the whole Disney Plus of it all. 
it is interesting to see how many of these series that are coming now are effectively like spin-offs or expansions, not second seasons, but their own like thing, basically. But um yes, um are you familiar with Echo from the comics too much? No, like, actually of... I'm really not. Right. Um I didn't really know like I knew her the only thing I really knew her for is the thing kind of everyone knows her for. Uh, she's the lady who shot Kingpin in the face. Right. Which they do. And then you're like, all right, well, where are we going from here? <laughs> That's a good start, but... Yes. That, like, you did the thing right away. So right. now what? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this one. It is an, it is an interesting project. It is framed as a lot, kind of a new, different thing for the MCU. Right. And I think, like... After all of the angst of, like, the end of the year for the MCU, the only direction to go is completely different, and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about that. But before we begin, it is time for another Internet Minute. All right, Sydney, what is your Internet Minute? Okay, um, today's Internet Minute brought to you by Kiwi, who... <laughs> Here she is, as usual. Anyway, hey, today's Kiwi. today's Internet Minute um, is actually a YouTube video that I watched recently. Um, I feel like it kind of is a continuation of, like, well, it's, it's not really a continuation of last week's episode. For those of you that follow us on Patreon, um, my most recent notes from the host kind of involves this a little bit. Anyway... This is a YouTube video from a creator called Poseidon Entertainment. Um, From what I gather from his YouTube channel, it seems like a lot of... um, A lot of theme park and specifically, like, Disney branding content or analysis. Um, He puts together Mm. these really in-depth, like, video essays about sort of these larger concepts involving the Disney brand and um, sort of ties in the park's. Anyway, there's this video that I came across of his. It's called Disney Brand Fatigue is Damaging Its Parks. Now... Mm. Oh, we did talk about this. Did we? Now, it's like, this is a really good video, but I don't know that I totally agree with all of it, of all of what's brought up here. Basically, he begins by talking about, um, like movie culture or at least like the the big studios putting all of their focus on like franchises or the continuations Mm. of like established ip um and you know these these studios putting more emphasis on that despite it seeming like consumer interests are sort of in the opposite direction even though it sort of seems like people are like uninterested in things like Indiana Jones anymore or um Mm -hmm. or maybe even Star Wars or maybe even maybe or maybe even Marvel things like that um and then he goes on to sort of tie that into what the parks look like now and how how it seems like most of the rides or the way that like the Disney parks look now are just like a lot of attractions that are specifically tied to a specific brand, to a specific movie. Um, Like, every single attraction in every single area Mm. is, you know, is branded to be Cars-themed or Pixar-themed or Anna and Elsa or, like, 
you know, fill in the gaps of Finding Nemo of, of whatever sort of IP that, that Disney owns, that like every inch is filmed with a very specific, you know, IP, as opposed to the way the park sort of used to look, which was like a little bit of IP, you've got teacups and you've got Dumbo and things like that. But then like a lot of the attractions were about broader concepts about the future and about technology and or they right. were just rides about you know it's a small world themes, after all they were themes not IP exactly um and I guess that's the part that I don't know that I necessarily agree with well it's not that I disagree he's right that there's a lot mm. of theming I guess the parts of his video that I that I feel more critical towards is is whether or not that is a good thing or a bad thing because he sort of comes to the conclusion mm. that's like you know some of the IP is really successful in the park. Like, for instance, there's, like, the Cars Land. Um, There's the, like, the Cars attraction, like, Radiator Springs stuff that seems to be really popular, well done, that people like. And that's a positive example of something. But then, like, Star Mm. Wars Galaxy's Edge is known as, like, the quiet, the quote-unquote, he he mentions it as the quote-unquote, like, quiet part of the park. In yeah. other words, to say... It's almost like not releasing a movie for six years will do that to you. Will do that? Um, in other words, saying that, like, not many people go there or, or in- are interested in visiting that unless you're going there to mm-hmm. specifically buy a lightsaber or, you know, like, it's not drawing out crowds in the way that other parts of the parks are. And so for me, I'm like, okay, so are you saying that, like, it's good when it works, but it's not good when it doesn't work? Like, is that sort of... <laughs> like, is there something sort of redundant right. about that? <laughs> um, I don't know. From for from, I wanted to get your perspective because, like, you're somebody who doesn't have any like personal experience with the parks. In my mind, I'm thinking like, I would be wanting to visit Disney for the IP. Do you have? Do you share that? Like, if if I if I if you could like plan a trip to Disney now, like what would you be looking forward to see? Like, or what would you hope to see? Would you be disappointed by so much IP? That is interesting. Because, yeah, so much of my, like, engagement with the parks is living vicariously through other people as I'm, like, in my lonely bell tower, you know, punched <laughs> and sad. Um, oh, there. Sorry, I'm a little energetic today, evidently. Okay. Um, yeah, or, like, living through theoretical concepts, like the theoretical direction of the company as embodied by the parks. But, like, I would say, I, as I, like, think about the stuff I'd actually want to do in the parks other than check out restaurants and stuff, it really is, like, I want to meet Asha, I want to meet, like, Tiana, I want to meet yeah. Belle. Like, and I'm like, huh, I really am leaning into the IP of it all. But I guess there's something more, like, I don't know, it, it, it's a two-pronged problem. And it's like, this was the direction all amusement parks were going the minute that stupid Harry Potter world got built. Mm, like, yeah. I do think we kind of, because Harry Potter's so unfun to talk about now and it's like right. so gross. Like, we do underrate how that like truly changed everything. Like, that was like the bomb dropping where it's like, oh, the world is fundamentally different now. And right. if you're not chasing this, you're doing it wrong. Like, it's a perfect storm of... Harry Potter world selling this idea of like parks have to be immersive world experiences. Mm-hmm. Like you can't sell vacation ideas because it's so it's so funny. I saw an ad for these like uh, copyright free sort of like 
candles. Like, clearly they're aping the different parks and, like, the different themes in the parks, but they don't have specific Disney branding. So there's, like, Polynesian, um, uh, Tomorrow, um, okay. uh, like, Wilderness. And it's so interesting that you do think, like, oh, yeah, the original vision for this park was, like, all of these sort of, like, broad themes that are, like, capturing a moment or an experience as opposed to specifically right. capturing Disney. And it's interesting to balance that with this new expectation of, like, yeah, but amusement parks are about living in Star Wars and living in Hogwarts, which God knows why you'd want to do that. It's not a very well-fleshed-out world. Um, right. You know, now we're doing a whole, like, Nickelodeon universal mm-hmm. thing. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, it, I'm thinking of through, like, the little the sections of Magic Kingdom that are like, oh, this little area is supposed to look like 16th century, like a 16th century German village. And it just so mm-hmm. happens that we have a movie that kind of matches that vibe. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I guess, like, Oh, it Gaston's is the, like, here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's, like, the fun sort of, like, haziness of it all because it's, like, people get mad at... People get mad that, like, so many of the princesses of color have gotten dumped in Animal Kingdom. But it's like, look, that's where they have the most space. And, like... Honestly, yeah. You know, it, it, it like, it works from a... It becomes accidental racism because it works from all of these different angles. It, like, you're basically right. reverse engineering it of, like, okay, here's where we have the space. What IP can we justify putting here? And it's like... It's well, Pocahontas. Okay, Moana is all about water. Yeah, Pocahontas. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody unpack this in any way, shape, or right. form. If anyone questions this, I'm shoving you out the nearest window. Right. Um, but, like, no, it's like Moana. You're like, okay, what is uh, Moana? It's like water. Okay, water is nature. Okay. Do a whole, like, par- okay, okay. Okay, we're this. she it's can do, go there. Um, Mulan has or some like animals. Or, like, Encanto. <laughs> Yeah, or, well, that's Encanto, where it's like, okay, there's that whole segment that's just music with animals, and one of the characters can talk to animals, and it's about a paradise. Okay, okay, yes, yes, okay. This is working. Don't anyone tell me this isn't working. Right. Um, (laughs) And, yeah, it's so fascinating that, like, you kind of have to just reverse engineer these worlds because that's what the market decided it wanted. And, you know, and it's an extension of the, like, it's an extension of the film industry where it's, like, you know, the 2000, like 2012 to 2020 was this like manic era where it's like every IP theoretically could make a billion dollars. People love their IP. So right. it was just like anything and everything, bring it back or do mm-hmm. it again or make it, you know, adapt another book, do this, do that. And now we're at this, you know, we're at a breaking point with that where it's like, yeah. okay, so a Marvel film isn't guaranteed to overperform, you know. Uh, this sort of iconography isn't guaranteed, you know, Indiana Jones isn't guaranteed to make X amount of money. And which that one in particular is so funny because it's still made more money than any other Indiana Jones movie. It's just our market expectations are so broken through the yeah that it looks like a failure. Right. Um, but yeah, and I, I don't know. It is interesting because it's like, it's one of the problems that Disney's facing of like, you're kind of a victim of your brand. You're kind of trapped by your brand. But at the same time, like, I don't know, it's a snake eating its own tail. And yeah, I guess I'm like kind of two-faced about it because I would like to see them sort of reinvigorate the parks by trying new things. But at the same time, all the stuff that interests me is the stuff that's right. branded. Right, exactly. And yeah. Yeah, I guess, like, if I was going to explain it one way, it's, like, that drawing Disney did where it's, like, everything branches out. All of these parts mm. are connected. The albums, the shows, the movies, the stage stuff. 
the cartoons, the parks. And it's like, the parks are like the weakest branch right now in the sense that they are more dependent on everything else than everything else is dependent on them. Right. And I think figuring out how to fix that would be beneficial to the company. Especially because like, yeah, like I said, I, I think we're about to face... I don't know. I say that, and that stupid Harry Potter park still makes, like, fistfuls of money. But I do feel right. like if there's a... T- chances are going to come to a breaking point. It feels like it's coming soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I really do want to bring on a friend who's been to the parks and, like, really get to break that down a little better. Yeah. Because, you know, again, we talk from a little bit of... Not air. Who's been to the parks like, recently. Yeah. Who's been to the parks recently, recently. Right. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Um... Um, if any of you are, are are interested in, like, a new creator on YouTube about Disney stuff, you should check him out because his videos are really great. His name is Poseidon Entertainment. Um, maybe we'll add a link to his YouTube um, in our information. Anyway, that was my Internet Minute. Carter, um, what do you want to talk about today? So I'm talking about something. We can't add a link to this because, unfortunately, it is... Uh, it fell off of the truck. T- yeah, it fell off of an internet truck. Um, yeah. So did you know, Sydney, that Nickelodeon is making a brand new Fairly Odd Parents show? As of today, I did not know that. Now I do. Yes. Uh, I didn't know it either, which is weird because that feels like a bit of a gap in my uh, knowledge. But yes, so they've been working on this for a little bit now called The Fairly Odd Parents, A New Wish. Um, it is, I'm not a hundred percent sure what the premise is. Um, the premise from the Fairly Odd Parents wiki, God bless these stupid wikis. Uh, 10 year old Hazel Wells has just moved to the big city of Dimadelphia. Hey! Uh, with her parents. Whoa. So her dad could start a new job. And I guess through... Stop, 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 yeah. stop, stop. Stop everything. Stop everything. Yeah. Dimadelphia, really? <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Is Shit, the football team called the Deagles or something? The Dimadeagles? Oh if they're creative and good at what they do, they will be. The Dimadelphia Deagles. Um, <laughs> sounds like everyone's having a stroke. Go Diggles. Um, yeah. But yes, apparently they discover that uh, Cosmo and Wanda live next door and are coming out of retirement to help this kid. Um, so the intro for this show just got leaked. Uh, like I said, I'm not sending a link to it um, because, you know, we don't want to get in trouble we have some morals um, yeah yeah a, a few not uh, a lot just, but a, just a couple a handful enough to get through the day right. but anywho so i am i'm morbidly curious about this because on one hand like it is so interesting the entire existence of the fairly odd parents like it, it, i feel like people have softened on their spongebob discourse like one, because the later seasons actually have been pretty funny and pretty popular. Um, like, in general, I feel like people have warmed up to the last, like, two or three seasons of Spongebob as being different from the original stuff, but still very funny in its own right. Um, and also, because it's like, it, they're still getting new con Like, the, you know, the Spongebob musical, I really do think, like, sort of, much like uh, FX airing every Simpsons episode ever kind of, like, gave a spark of life to the fandom of, like, yeah, let's appreciate this. And I also think people let up on it because for all of the accusations of milking and, like, beating a dead horse you can put to Spongebob, the absolute franchise ditch-digging that um, the Fairly Odd Parents has gone through borders on the criminal. 
Um, <laughs> I genuinely did not realize this show had... I assumed it had just quietly ended around 2004 or, like, 2008, oh, like, no. when we were kids. And then quietly it had, uh, what, four more seasons? Yeah, you uh, don't remember all that stuff with the baby? No, I... I Well, that's when I discovered I'm like, this is still on? Yeah. Like, yeah, they went through, on top of just the episodes, by all accounts, getting worse, um, you know, going through the classic flanderization, we're just running out of ideas problem. They also had the problem of doing basically every single jump the shark thing you can possibly do to revitalize a dying brand. Um, They had a baby. They added a spunky cool dog, which is hilarious because that's a joke in The Simpsons. The joke of, like, Itchy and Scratchy getting a cool dog sidekick who immediately (laughs) is hated. They did the bit, um, and seemingly unironically. Mm -hmm. Um, They added another kid who he has to share the fairies with. They tried a live action, you know, they tried to do live action. They tried to do a straight-up franchise sort of... They tried to basically do a Raven's Home where it's a legacy sequel. And that people hated. Um, And it truly is... And on top of that, it's like, you know, SpongeBob has the advantage that you know, its late creator was regarded as, like, the nicest human being on the planet. Yeah. Like, someone who no one has ever said a bad word about. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Butch Hartman, you can say a lot of bad things. Is a villain. He kind is of a sucks. legitimate vil- villain. Yes, which just adds another ick to it that they keep this going. Um, right. I really, I guess that's my one hesitancy to talk about, like, have a Nickelodeon month is, like... There are villains in Nickelodeon. <laughs> Yeah, compare how like how bad do you have to be that I'm I like yeah Disney and Nickel Cartoon Network really don't have villain Disney doesn't yeah. have villains compared to Nickelodeon right where like they straight up have like their most popular sh- second most popular show outside of SpongeBob now is Loud House and you're just not allowed to talk about the creator of that show on the premises they've basically erased that man from history so they can justify keeping the show going um, it's just- crazy like not not to inter interjects too much here but like christy carlson romano like has this very successful like youtube podcast series where she talks to like other child stars and like every time she's got somebody from nickelodeon they just say the craziest shit on her show about like what they went through on a nickelodeon like recurring show like, right, like Disney stuff is just classic, like corporate scumbaggery. This is yeah. like a malicious evil that poisons everything it touches. Right. Yeah, like, um, but to get back on topic, um, I will say to this show's credit, I will get they just show uh, I've just seen the introduction and a little bit of an episode, and I will say at the bare minimum, it looks lovely. Like, if a part of the problem is the live-action stuff looked looked bad on top of just not being good and the sort of legacy sequel didn't look good and had a lot mm-hmm. of production problems, this at least looks like a level of craft and care was done. It is another CGI show, but it's pointedly stylized to look flat. Flat, Like, yeah. the angles they use, the way the lighting enunciates the shapes and mm-hmm. sort of outlines them. It is taking... It is a very impressive work in terms of this, like, modern art style we've talked about of, like... How do we take the, like, very fun sort of, like, almost, like, 50s-esque art style that Butch created and apply it to CGI? And for the bare min- for that bare minimum, I would at least give it a chance. I'm not sure if he's involved in the project in any way, shape, or form. I will have to do more research on that. But assuming he isn't, I would at least give it a fair shot. Yeah, um, you, you know me. Like, it always takes my eyes time to like adjust to a certain art style maybe i'll have to mm. like 
catch that clip again, but it was it was a little jarring to look at at first. But but right. I will admit that it does look like it was done with care. Like it does look like it took time and money. Right. And like I guess that's the problem with so much of the like even some of the worst times for SpongeBob. There was at least a sense of like people were trying. They're trying yeah. things. They're doing their best. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't a lack of effort. This is a lack right. of like ideas. And fortunately, the ideas have come back into play. Like you know, there's been a burst of creativity in for SpongeBob. Whereas like with Fairly Odd Parents, despite having two or three episodes that were so clearly and so definitively like franchise wrapper uppers. Like perfect, <laughs> nice little put a bow on it. Everything's done. Um, they just they just kept going, and right. you could tell it's just like this is contractually obligated content, right? Exactly, like brand obligated content, which strikes me because I'm like, I like I would love to talk to parents of kids and be like, do they know what Fairly Odd Parents is? Is that mm-hmm. anything for them? Like, yeah. My question is, uh, like, is it that hard to just? pay royalties and like put an original show on as is you mean like a brand new different show no i mean like is it that hard to just like put our original fairly odd parents like back on primetime slots i think well it's a part of it's probably royalties and a probably another part of it's probably executives just being like kids aren't gonna want to watch this old stuff look at this look how cheap this looks and it's like I don't know. It still looks good. It's an yeah, art style. Right. It's still funny. It's very Which is funny. probably what pushed them to make it... Again, that's one of the reasons why they probably pushed this one to be CGI, because CGI looks new. Right, I guess. Yeah. Mm. And now back to your regular scheduled programming. All right. So what's interesting about Echo... Well, a number of things are interesting, but the first thing that's interesting is we kind of have a new branding for the MCU. Yeah. Um, they talked about this going in, but uh, they explained that this is a part of a new sort of headliner for the franchise called Marvel Spotlight. Uh, it's got its own little piano flare and its own little logo and everything. Can I say, when I saw this... I don't, I don't know if the reaction, like, maybe I rolled my eyes, maybe I, I don't, I don't know. But, like, this feels a little too little too late. <laughs> or, like, this, this Marvel Spotlight thing should have been the branding this entire time. For, like, not wrong. all of these series should have been framed this way. Yes. And, like... On this episode, we also want to talk about, like, the state of Marvel in general. And I think this show, like, this show and, like, sort of the Marvel Spotlight thing embodies, like, one of the biggest problems is just, like, very clearly they had the whole idea of doing television shoved on their lap and didn't really know what to do Mm -hmm. with it. And now, you know, and now that, like, streaming is legally treated like TV, they're finally building an infrastructure to actually, like do it or rather do it correctly or rather brand it correctly right because i'm thinking back and i'm like with with truly with the exception of wandavision which felt like an immediate jumping off point from endgame right otherwise every other thing from falcon and winter soldier could could have been framed this way what was what was werewolf by night 
was that a special? Was it like because that had different branding? That was branding. Marvel special presentation. That also had its own little thing. They better not introduce a whole bunch of crap to us. Like no more. Yeah, you don't like that is a big worry, and I think that's like a problem in general of like you can't have too many brands. Like you yeah. can't have too many titles. I'm a nerd for categorization, but there's like a finite amount of categorization you can have before you start losing people. Right. But yeah. I think the Marvel Spotlight title is interesting because they talked about it's like, well, we're going to use this when we're talking about an individual character, when we're really doing a character exploration. And I thought about it and I'm just like, for me, it just makes sense to use this whenever you're doing less of, and it's a problem with a lot of these shows. They feel less like shows and more like miniseries. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. how many of these have actually gotten a second season? Like, Loki. um, Loki, yeah. What If, which I'm not really counting that. Um, I don't know if you ended up watching any of the new What If. It is a fun season, and we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, I feel like they've realized what that show needs to be more and, like, read into it. Um, Yeah, it's like, I I really think Loki's the only one that got a second season, isn't it? Loki's one of the few that feels like real television. And not just like, eh, we have too much to make a movie, but not enough to make two movies. Right. And, yeah, so, like, so many of these series, it's like, okay, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it's like, well, that's the story. That's it. You, like, yeah. you know, the fact that you're doing a new Captain America movie, like, the title literally changes in the final credits to Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Like, it's different now. Like, you've right. told the story completely. Hawkeye, it's like, yeah, you could do more fun misadventures with Hawkeye, but, like, the emotional arc of the story is over. There's not, is like, there. anything to build off of there. Right. Like, even Loki, they're like, yeah, we kind of imagine this being done after two seasons. We had, like, two seasons worth of stories we wanted to tell. And I won't spoil it, because I know you need to watch that, too, but, like, mm-hmm. the place they leave Loki is a thematically appropriately, emotionally resi- like emotionally strong place to leave the character and only have right. him show up if you want to do, like, Avengers-level stuff. Right. Um, like, WandaVision, you literally can't do another season of that unless it's another witch in another, like, unless you want it to be, like, WandaVision is a branding for different sort of misadventures. Again, like, I'm happy to see her pop up for Avengers-level stuff. Yeah. Like, Moon Knight, as much as I love Moon Knight, I'm like, yeah, but you kind of told the story. Like, yeah. whatever Moon Knight is... Whatever Moon, whatever you do with Moon Knight next, next is kind of a fundamentally different thing. Right. Like, you can't... Like, again, that is one that the Marvel Spotlight branding feels 100% built for in terms of, like, yeah, we are studying this one character. We are exploring their psychology. Here's someone you've never met before. I feel like She-Hulk could have easily been a spotlight. Right. She-Hulk is the only other one that makes sense. Well, see, that one's tricky because I'm like, well, you could do more seasons of that because it's nominally a procedural. You could, but in in my mind, like, the, the point of introducing these characters in this format was to sort of prime us to be ready to see them in the MCU. Like, to prime us to be ready to see them in feature-length films. Right. The idea of, like, hey, we want we want a lot of new toys to play with, but we can't take, like, you know, we can't take the 30, 40 minutes we did for, like, Ironheart, like, Riri Williams in Wakanda mm-hmm. Forever to just stop the movie and be like, hey, here's this new character. Here's kind of what they do. Here's their aesthetic. Here's their vibe. Let's, you know, let's have this new, you know, we'll just show you them here real quick and then you will know exactly who they are going forward. You don't have to be, you know, mm-hmm. we can have like, we can have a couple minutes of Marvels to explain like Miss Marvel's general shtick, but like we're not going to need 30 minutes. Right. 
and yeah, it is it is interesting. Like, like I said, so much and like the bits of gossip and drama from the MCU that actually interest me are the ones talking about sort of like the struggle they had developing the sort of Disney Plus side of everything. Mm. And at the bare minimum, Marvel Spotlight interests me because it does feel like an understanding of like a part of the problem is like the problem is less quality and more branding and Mm -hmm. the branding needs to fix a little bit. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we, I feel like everyone everywhere is exhausted. Talk about streaming and specifically the ripple effect of Disney plus. But if I feel like Marvel suits itself or suited itself best for like what I feel like we were all sold when Disney Plus was in development, which was like, oh, the ability to watch everything. Like, right. a, a collection spot for everything. Right. I feel like Marvel was best suited for that. Right, because, you know, if the problem with Marvel allegedly is you have to see too much stuff, well, here's all the stuff. Here's all of it. But the problem is they're adding more stuff on top of that, and it just becomes... No. And then you can't fight the accusations that there's too much stuff. And again, right. like we talked about this with Mar- the Marvels. It's like, you really don't need to see all these shows about it. But once people decide they have to, you can't talk them out of that. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, so Echo gets this interesting distinction of being the first Marvel spotlight. And I do think it is a very good proof of concept. Because this very much is a show, like, you know, Hawkeye and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, like, and WandaVision, all kind of have a lot of different branches, a lot of different stuff going on, a lot of different characters being introduced, a lot of different arcs, whereas this show is exclusively about Maya Lopez, who doesn't get called Echo during this, but will become Echo at some point. Right. Um, and, you know, like, and we'll obviously get into it, but, like, just to start off, um, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, right. Well, let's get the basic, <laughs> like, thumbs up, thumbs down. Big it's smile, frown. Yeah. I give this... Three buckets of popcorn. Right. <laughs> I wish we had a rating system like that. Yeah, just the sh- hackiest, cheesiest yes. sense. <laughs> I guess it would be mouse ears by default, right? I guess. I feel like there's something funnier that, like, is more specific three to us. Three girl bosses out of... <laughs> yeah. Th- yeah. I give it three out of five. Um, there's something that we're not thinking of. Oh, well. We'll come up with something. <laughs> Audience, you can brainstorm it for us. Right, right. Um, but... Um, I like it. Yeah. You know? I Yeah, again, as a <laughs> proof of concept for, like, hey, let's have these, like, tight little short, like, film plus stories. I'm like, it's right. a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, and most of that really does come down to, I really like Echo as a character, and I like what she, how she distinguishes herself from a lot of the other characters we've had in the MCU. Um, can you believe this is Alakwa Cox's first film role? No. Like, aside from Hawkeye? Well, yeah, aside from Hawkeye, of course. But yeah, her two roles are Hawkeye in a supporting role and Echo. And I would argue that's another justification for, like, the Marvel Spotlight title, where it's like, it's so interesting that, like, two of the early shows they did were Hawkeye and WandaVision. Instead of doing season twos, they're just doing an Agatha show and an Echo show. Like, you know, the story still continues, but it's under a new, like, you know... The sort of crime stuff that started with Hawkeye is getting carried by um, Echo now. And honestly, a lot of the theming and thematic elements, too, because 
if Hawkeye was a show about grief, about grappling with, you know, your identity and, you know, accepting your kind of role in the world, this is a story about that. Right. You know, one of the things I like is the thematic, what they do thematically with the name Echo. Um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of hemming and hawing because they explicitly said, like, they're changing her powers. And people, again, comic comic book people, who I assure you have never read anything with Echo in it other than the aforementioned right. comic where she shoots Kingpin in the haven't. face. Yeah. Right. Like, I like, and I like, I like, I like being the nerd who knows all this stuff before everyone else does, but I'm not so not <laughs> exactly. a fraud. And I'm not going to lie to the it's American the only people reason to or read my friends. To read, it's the only reason to read comics is to like know things that other people don't know. <laughs> right. Which is a shame because there actually are a lot of very good Marvel comics. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of the new Ultimate Spider Man, but like, I'm actually unironically like, this might be the first time I go to a comic store regularly to pick up a new issue. Um, the idea Ooh. is the ultimate universe Spider-Man now is going to be, hey, what if he was an adult and married MJ and had kids and then got bit by a spider? Like, and I'm like, see, that's what the ultimate verse should have been. Right. Different ideas. Not just, hey, here's the same stories we told before, but newer, so kids new can catch up. New art style. Yeah, and a quicker, new gross quicker, shaded art style. Quicker pacing so that you can read yeah. everything in one issue. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I digress. We can talk about that later. Someday we'll right. do more comic-y stuff. But anyway, like, so in the comics, her powers are, like, basically Taskmaster's powers. She can, like, photocopy movements she sees from other people. And that tracks because it's like, oh, Echo. She echoes people. And mm. also, like, the idea of, like, oh, well, she can't hear, so she's been forced to learn physical movements. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's fine. But for me, it's like, well, that's not a necessarily visually exciting power outside of, like, boss fights. Right. Um, like, Taskmaster is perfect for that because he is a boss, or, well, in this case, she is a boss fight. Um, whereas now her powers are, she can basically, she basically can get powers from her relatives. The idea is that she's connected to this long line of Choctaw women who all were able, all had extraordinary abilities, and she can kind of just tap into that when it's needed. For example, there is, one of her relatives is was like a like a sharpshooter back in the old west and she can invoke that to get like incredible accuracy and abilities with like shooting and throwing things and it's like i like that both i think it's two-pronged because one it's like i think people have to appreciate with the mcu and it's the same discourse we had with kamala khan where it's like yes her powers in the comics are cool and, but the problem is, in comics, there are literally thousands upon thousands of characters. So it's not abnormal for three or four characters to just kind of have the same ability. But when right. you're in a film space and everything's compressed, it's like, it's going to be her and Mr. Fantastic, and they're both going to have the same power. And it's like, well, that's kind of lame. Like, why do they have the same power? You know, can I, like, this is a five-episode series, and mm-hmm. it's like, I feel like, well, first of all, I'll admit, I have not had time to get through all of them. I've only gotten episode three, where I feel like in this is the episode where we, like, f- where I first realized that she was even getting powers. Mm-hmm. I thought she was going to just be a Hawkeye thing where it's like, this is just a talented person. And right. I would have been content <laughs> right, with her just being talented, you know? Right. Yeah, I guess I am too. And like, I was talking about that as I was watching it, where I was like, I'm not 100% sure how I feel about like, we have to give her powers and they have to be like mythological powers. Right. Because like, when we're doing these flashbacks, like when when we're going into the legend, 
I don't know. I thought that was just like a cultural insight. Like, it didn't click until it was revealed that like she also had that same ability or or like was tapping into that same thing. But I was like, oh, this is relevant. I thought we were just looking at like you know a, she comes from a long line of like powerful women who may or may not have a chip on their shoulder. <laughs> right. Where yeah, like you like what you're saying. It's like. You thought it was exclusive, the idea of echo was exclusively thematic, where the idea is, like, you are an echo of everyone who's come before you, now it's your turn to do the thing. Where it's also literal, which I like as, like, a cheesy superpower thing of, like, oh, your power makes thematic sense for what your hang-ups are. Right, exactly. Like, I thought thought our powers were just, like, an angry girl who, you know, puts in the hours in the gym, which would have been fine. (laughs) Right. She, she has a chip on her sh- yeah she has a chip on her shoulder because she doesn't have a leg and she's never been able to hear right so she has to work harder than everyone she's pissed. else she's pissed right. off because and i and i a lot of deaf people make this complaint hearing people will just talk to you even if they know you can't hear they'll just talk to right. you and you're like stop talking to me stop <laughs> i don't right. know what you're saying Right. I actually, that's kind of one of my, like, there's the bit from the trailer where she's trying to, as a kid, trying to get an ice cream, and the guy's just like, get out of here. And Kingpin proceeds to, like, mollywop the guy. But also, <laughs> like, there is a scene with Daredevil. I will say, like, if you haven't watched this yet and you're expecting a lot of Daredevil stuff, it seems like that's the stuff yeah. that got largely cut out. Right. It does seem it like seems the like first an episode was... Yeah. It does feel like the first episode was going to be way more, like, flashback heavy, and they decided mm-hmm. to truncate that. Um but I do love that he just keeps talking to her their entire fight and not once goes, why is she not saying anything? Yeah. Why is she not responding or emotionally reacting to a single word I'm saying? But right. it's like, yeah, because you, d- despite being blind, you still default to a brain being like, well, everyone else is normal. Hello? Yeah, exactly. But I you know I will say the interesting, when Daredevil comes in, um, these whole like people with disabilities fighting each other thing makes for some really cool fight choreography. They really oh, like yes. they they never miss with the fight choreography. Marvel, I have to give it to them. Um, they know I think what they're that's doing. What frustrates me about so and many of get these big CGI it. boss fights because yeah. like, when people just do hand to hand shit in this, it always looks it's good. Cool. Yeah, she does yeah. some cool stuff like throwing her prosthetic leg around. <laughs> yeah. There's just That's one cool. kick she does where she just holds it midair like a Street Fighter character before just smacking him in the face. And I'm like, that rules. Wait, wait, there are a couple times where she literally like picks her own leg up just to go like pop on somebody's head. Like, who does that? Right. She has a knife in her shoe. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I know we're jumping around a little bit, but at the same time, it's like, well, we don't want to go beat by bleat because we want you guys to watch this. So like, right. yeah. And I, I think like that in terms of like the whole Marvel spotlight thing, yeah, the Marvel spotlight, like, if we're going to do this thing where we're finally building up sort of, like, the street-level heroes, it's like, all right, we've kind of gone as far as we can with the Avengers stuff for a little bit. Let's, like, pull it back a little bit and do, like, cool crime stuff and, like, street-level adventuring stuff. I love that Daredevil can just show up. I like the idea that you just have this repertoire of characters who it's, like, every now and then you can just drop someone in and be like, oh, boss fight, or, like, oh, combo appearance, like, and not have to explain it, where it's like, there's a hundred of these guys running around New York City. New York is overrun with costume clowns. So you can just have, so you can just have right. this moment where it seems like, you know, they've won this, you know, Echo thinks she's won this little gang war thing. And out of nowhere, the little baton swirls around someone's neck and like yanks mm-hmm. them up and you're like, oh, fuck. And the music picks up and you're like, oh, shit, it's this guy. Can I say something so random? I don't like Daredevil. <laughs> 
I'm going to be honest. And like, we've been discussing audience doing an episode where we get some of our hottest takes just out of our system. <laughs> I really don't like 99.9999999999% of the Netflix stuff. Like, that's why I was actually not very excited for this, because I'm like, God, they keep invoking the Netflix stuff, and I just don't want that. Um, in particular, I think the Daredevil show is horribly overrated, but... Is it just me, or is he, like, a douchebag? <laughs> yes, but see, that's the thing. That's what I like about the MCU version. That's how I like... People talk about him getting MCU-ified compared mm-hmm. to his Netflix stuff. Like, in the Netflix stuff, he's just kind of whiny and, like, a martyr. And, like, they lean oh. way too much into, like, the Boston or, like, the sort of Irish Catholic guilt of it all. And <laughs> it just makes him, like, kind of unlikable. And also makes him kind of lame because it's, like, you know, he gets punched so much. And you're, like, this guy's supposed to be a master ninja. Why is right. he getting beat up by some, like, randos? <laughs> At least when he's fighting Echo, you're, like, well, yeah, Echo is also a martial arts expert. Right. She can hold her own against this guy. Yeah. Um, and also she has a metal foot. Getting hit by that hurts. Right. Um, but I like the MCU because it's like, yeah, Daredevil is kind of douchey. He's a little cocky. Like, yeah. he, he acts way more in the MCU between this, um, She-Hulk, and even I would argue the little bit he's in No Way Home. He acts mm. like someone who would actively call himself Daredevil, who's like, yeah, right. it sounds like a cool name. Yeah. One, just in terms of the acrobatics. Like, I love that he's so aerial now. Like, mm. he has this cool thing where he, like, dives backwards like he's fucking Max Payne. At one point, he's literally on the floor and somehow pushes himself up straight, like, literally, like, push-ups himself into standing position. Um, He's, like, jumping around on shit. shit. He's, like, flipping over fences. Um, And even just, like, the fact that he's, like, constant, like, you know, he's doing, like, twirls and stuff with his stick. You can tell he's, like, being cocky about it. A part of his, like, bit now is, like, messing with people's heads. And, yeah, he's a little bit of a douche. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Just had to say that. He seems like... Yeah, he's a much better foil for Kingpin here because Kingpin is a man who's just too sincere. He is physically right. incapable of being insincere. Like everything he believes one hundred percent everything he says. Yeah, I think that's right? why Kingpin appeals to me so much as a villain. I've always liked him. I've always thought, like, oh, I like him because his design is funny. But yeah. <laughs> it's funny that Spider-Man, every time they meet for the first time, goes like, ah, cheeseburgers. Uh. <laughs> why did he become Sonic there? I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> and then he tries to punch Kingpin only to get his like hand shattered. And it's like, yeah, it's all muscle asshole. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, but he is like a super emotional villain. Right. Like, yeah, he's, it's interesting because he does have this like sort of hammy mob boss energy. Like, yeah. you know, I think about like Sean, Pe- uh, Sean Penn in fucking, uh, what was it? It was the first time I saw Anthony Mackie, a gangster squad, where, like, people, you know, or, like, Dick Tracy, where it's all these hammy gangsters, like, I want him strung up by his shoelaces! I want his family dead! But at the same time, he's also, like, painfully sincere. I'm sad. He's simultaneously hammy as hell, but super sincere. Right. Where you're, like... He's, like, I'm sad and lonely. Yeah, I'm sad and lonely, so that justifies all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Right, like, that's it. Like, that's the one, one of the things I actually do like from the Netflix stuff is, like, 90% of his arc in the first season of Daredevil is he just really wants to date this one lady. And, right. like, things keep getting in the way of dating this lady. Like, his first, like, villain moment is one of his mobsters comes in and is like, sir, we got a problem, we got the, the Daredevils showing up. And the lady's kind of creeped out by that. So he smashes that guy's head in with a car door. I'm sure um, that helped, Yeah. Yeah, that de-escalated the situation. Uh, right. But, yeah, that's... Yeah, and I like that, like, 
And I think, uh, like, as we're talking about this, the street levelness of it all, there has been a lot of talk about this being a TVMA show, and I do think that's a little overrated. Like, it's violent, but not profoundly violent. It's got a little, like, I guess it's not gore, but, like, it's, it's, it's violent. I was kind of shocked by some of the things. Right. I mean, I would argue, like, I don't know. I feel like the Captain America movies had this level of violence, but, like, you're allowed to show blood in this. Like, the difference is just, like, Mm. oh, we're actually showing the blood. It's not just, like, someone falls over after getting shot. Like, there's gore and stuff. Um, But for me, it's more, like, I like it, like, the TVMA of it all and, like, talking about, like, the kingpin of it all. I like that we finally have a character who is objectively kind of evil. Like, I like we have a main character who objectively does villainous things on camera, but Mm -hmm. is still the protagonist and still the hero. Like... Yeah. You know, there was a lot of talk when Ant-Man first came out. I don't know. Do you know the whole, like, behind-the-scenes drama with the original Ant-Man? The original Ant-Man? No. So, basically, what happened was Edgar Wright of Scott Pilgrim and Shaun of the Dead fame, he was, like, the writer-director on it. He still gets story credit. But basically, one of the big hang-ups that made him leave the project was, like, his original draft had Scott Lang be much more of, like, not villainous, but, like, less of an empathetic hero. Like, he screws up, he does bad things. But then you cast Paul Rudd, and it's like, well, we can't have Paul Rudd do bad things. Yeah, Paul Rudd. Rudd. He's an icon. It's Paul Rudd. Come on. Come on. And it's like, this is as close as we've gotten to that vision, where it's like, yeah, Echo is a good person. Like, Echo is generally a good person, and the things she does bad are morally understandable. Or, like, it's understandable to a point. But you also can't hide the fact that, like, so many of her hero moments in this are objectively violent acts of crime. Like, her big moment during the, leading up to the Daredevil fight is her cracking a man's spine and killing him. Yeah. Um, and, like, we just pause on that. It's like, this is her hero moment. And then she proceeds to kill all of these guys. Right. Whose only fault was crossing Kingpin on the wrong week. Right, truly. And, like, this series is actually kind of low on action set pieces. There's only, like, two big ones. It really underlines, like, I think the Marvel Spotlight thing is also, like, yeah, some of these should have been movies. Um... But, like, her big set piece is on a train. She's, like, sneaking onto a train that's heading to New York. And the sort of capper to that is she made a bomb. And she just just straight up kills an entire warehouse of people. And you're, like, it's nice that, like, you know, we do so much. how crafty she is? (laughs) Right. It's kind of one of the funniest parts. Right. Like, I like, again, you know, we can talk about her getting actual mystical powers. But on the other hand, it's, like, I also like that they don't, the crime level stuff is still there. It's like, yeah. right, these are people who, even if they have powers, they're not unstoppable powers. Like, the most unstoppable person in terms of, like, the Defenders street-level stuff is what? Luke Cage? And that's just because he's bulletproof. Like, mm-hmm. there's ways to kill... Like, he can drown if you can yeah. figure out a way to drown him. Right. Like, he's not, immor- he's not immortal. Yeah. Like, Iron Fist, you just got to keep him from using his fist. Like <laughs> Easy enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, I like that Echo's whole, like, again, 90% of Echo's stuff is she's flying by the seat of her pants trying to start a gang war. She's perpetually on the run? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I like that she is kind of on the run. She keeps saying, like, I'm gonna topple his empire and take it over, and it's like, you know you can't do that. You know you have no shot at doing this. And the minute things start getting bad, she has to turn, like, you know, completely change her vision. Um, particularly, I believe in episode three, oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, like, not to interject here, but um, honestly, I think 
Um, and, and you you mentioned about like the pacing, whether or not it's it's a problem or or it adds to it. But I I feel like the like the necessity of sign language in this like get means that we just get to the important information first. <laughs> like, there's no conversations right. in here that like are for granted like there's no conversations in here that don't just get right to like here's what we got to talk about (laughs) here's the information right there's an economy to briskness like there's an economy of words when you have to you can't just project you have there's work no they're like here's the info here's what you need to know here's what i need to know all right do it (laughs) right yeah one of my weird nitpicks for the show is it really annoys me that they just use the default Disney Plus uh, subtitles for this. You have to yeah. have the Disney Plus subtitles on. When in reality, I'm like, I wish it was something in universe, like on screen. Right. Like I like when movies have that. I feel like the only thing that they have like that in the show is the utilization of like text messaging. Yes. That's it. Right. Which, Which you realize that's like, yeah. Um, and yeah, like I guess... It, yeah, there is, like, that advantage of, like, Maya's, by nature, has to be a person of relatively few words, which is why her emotional, like, I don't know, why her emotional arc works here. Like, so much of her problem is she just needs to talk to her family and make peace with what happened, um, which is both difficult because of time, but also difficult because of mm-hmm. this. Hell, like, as as Kingpin becomes more and more of, like, the threat throughout this, there is that unspoken thing of, like, oh, right, you never did learn sign language. And what does that say about you? And what does that say about our relationship? That, like, despite all of your sincerity, despite all of your expressed sincerity, you never actually figured out how to do sign language particularly well. Right. Beyond being able to say, like, we're family or I love you as yeah. you send me to go do something. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but, yeah, pivoting back to, and I guess, like, you know, again, we're talking in a big circle here, but... Getting back to, like, the mythical element of it all, it's, like, I'm of two minds about this because on one hand it is, like, on one hand it's, like, is it a bit stereotyped that we give the indigenous character mystical powers? Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, we give another, um, like, you know, we have another native First Nations character, um, Kori, um, also get, well, her powers are sci-fi based, I guess, but they appear mystical. Her idea is, yeah, she's in What If. The idea is, what if the Tesseract fell to Earth in, like, sort of upstate New York. So, like, the like the Mohawk tribe, all these different tribes now have access to basically another world. And also, by being exposed... Basically, Captain Marvel. You get exposed to the Tesseract, you get powers. Right, right. Except yeah. her powers make more sense for the Tesseract because she's fast and can make portals. Yeah, I've got, like... I've got some gripes about the whole... Like, I don't know what to call it. Like, we were talking about this before we recorded today, but, like, I hate to call it lore because it's, like, it's a practice, like, on some level, this is, like, a practice set of beliefs. It's not... Right. That Well, see, that's the problem because this isn't, like, Greek mythology. There aren't... Yeah. There aren't well, there's not, like, a majority of people who are sacrificing goats at the altar of Zeus anymore. Right. Like, the Temple of Apollo is a tourist location now. Right. There's no oracle there. Right. Whereas this is, like, people still believe these things. People yeah. still practice these ideas and faith. Maybe they don't believe all of it literally, but they do believe it as in terms of their shared heritage. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's that element of it. Weirdly enough... A lot of my issues with with those scenes, because for those of you that haven't watched this yet, it's like we, they're not exactly flashbacks, but we get these like mini, 
you know, episodes where we learn about, like, the origins or, like, like, the different generations of this echo power and the woman who, you know, wielded it, if you will. Um, yeah. And I don't, From, like, like, literally the first of their nation to today. Right, exactly. And I feel like they made some cheesy, like, f- filmmaking choices um, that kind of kill it for, not kill it, but it's like, that I'm like, okay, I don't, like, I feel like we may be stepping into something maybe stereotypical or, like, tacky. Um, mm-hmm. f- for instance, like, the the episode where they're playing lacrosse, I'm like, why are we using fisheye lens? And why are we using handheld why are we filming this handheld and with a right. with a fisheye lens? Like, I don't like, like, I think it's bad optics to be like, okay, here's a bunch of native people and it looks crazy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting because, like, there has been a lot of talk about the Choctaw Nation, like, them working with the Choctaw Nation. And all of that is so clearly on display in terms of costuming and design and just, like, the, like, pleasant humanity they give, like, you know. Mm -hmm. We see this nation over centuries in a lot of different phases and shapes, and the dignity and humanity we get genuinely is still underrated in, like, today's filmmaking scene, especially Mm -hmm. for American film. Um, But, yeah, for some reason, the aesthetic choices in terms of, like, the cinematography kind of undercuts that for some reason. Where it's, like, depicted as, like, weird and off-kilter. Weird and dangerous, yeah. Even my favorite of the bunch, doing like an old Western, like I was going to bring that up film, next. Where I'm like, okay, because they shoot it modernist and just put the filter over it, and like it doesn't look. It right. just feels uncanny. Yeah, it it feels wrong. Right, and I guess like I don't know. Again, you're shooting a lot of stuff for a show. You know, you don't necessarily, and that's where like the TV plus problem comes into play. Where it's like, well, you can't quite, like you're never going to be able to fully make everything perfect on the mm-hmm. front in terms of like, if you want to do bold aesthetic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. But I guess like on the other hand, it's like, you know, if people, if members of the Choctaw nation didn't raise questions about the idea of like making this mythology, mystical powers, then I like to think they were okay with it. And at the same time, it's like, okay. But like, you know, if Vikings and the Norse are allowed to have magical powers, if, right. you know, if this African nation is effectively allowed to have magical powers because, you know, that level of technology is so advanced, it might as well be magic. How like, the Bible, yeah, I would say, is pretty I, magical. Effectively, yeah, again, you know, they haven't done it in the MCU yet, but there's been talk about bringing Angela, who is a literal angel, like, like Yahweh... Uh, monotheistic angel and mm. they will dig with that you know they will grapple with that can of worms when and if they mm-hmm. decide they want to do that like a so enough, like yeah. why should we deprive another culture of getting sure. to see its mythology presented as mystical mythology i suppose now does does a show like this get to redeem itself by having jokes at the expense of white people maybe yes. there is a funny I mean, scene i like the pawn shop scene uh, when mm-hmm. these white people come in and they're like, do you have anything from Navajo? And they're like, no, that's fake. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I fake. I mean, <laughs> again, it is so funny, the Martin Scorsese discourse where it's like, it is very interesting that, like, basically in the same, like, five months, you know, Scorsese did his film about, like, 
a, you know, white snakes slipping through the grass and slowly picking their way through a native culture to steal their money. And also Mm -hmm. this show just kind of talks about, like, you know, Kingpin being this, like, you know... Because, like, Kingpin has claws in this town already. That's the idea. Right. And I like, you know, it's like, again, this guy who portrays himself as, like, sincere and, like, a person to all people. When in reality, he's like, oh, I will straight up kill all of these people to get what I want. Exactly. I do think that's kind of funny. Um, yeah. I will say, as I was doing, um, as you guys probably heard on our last episode, I was pretty sick. And we'll probably just talk about that later when I'm fully recovered. But... Um, I have watched a lot of movies, and boy howdy, do I wish I sandwiched Killers of the Flower Moon in between two animated movies, because <laughs> goddamn doing all the animated stuff, then Killers, then Oppenheimer, boy howdy, was Jeez. that like, was that like a big old glass of, like, sherry at the end of the night? Yeah. Um, porter. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I don't know, and like, obviously we're not necessarily the people to talk about that specific thing, but I also right. think there is an interesting moment, um... Like, Echo has to get her leg remade because it gets crushed in a train car. Um, right. Which, like, again, it's not blood, but that's still very grisly to think about. Just, like, yeah. that's her limb. Right. Like, that could have been, that's basically a bone for her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she brings it to, she brings it to her grandfather to get um, fixed. And he puts this, like, very ornate golden plate on it. Like a I do like symbol. this scene where he's like, you live in New York. <laughs> right. And she was like, no, this is too garish for what I do. Like, it's, you know, it makes me stand out. And he's like, no, you are the one person, you are the one of us who is out there in the world. You are the Mm -hmm. one person who's, like, in New York, who's making a difference in the world. You have to represent your, you know, you have to represent everything you came from. You are an echo of everyone who came before you. And again, again, I, I, again, I know I talk about the fairy tale shit a little too much to the point it's becoming a running joke among our friends. But like, yeah, that's why I like superheroes. They are these broad thematic fairy tales. And I love this right. idea of what an echo is and how a person is an echo. She is an echo of like her people and she has to represent that. And I do think it is kind of like an interesting sort of meta commentary about like, you know, we talked about it. Like, is it cool that her powers come from this like indigenous mythology? And it's like, yeah, but there are a hundred white superheroes in the MCU. There's right. only one... Well, there's only two, but only one live-action First Nations character. Mm. By default, she kind of has to represent that. And right. that matters. That does matter. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, for me, I will say, and like, I don't want to spoil the ending. I will say, uh, you can tell there's a few scenes that were cut. Um, I do think this kind of has, like, I do think with a lot of this sort of, like, COVID-era stuff, there is just, like, a struggle of, like, pacing and structure. Um I will say I a lot of people don't like the ending. I actually really, really like the ending because, again, it's another of the, look, we already had the boss fight in this. We already had the big punch-em-ups. Like, mm-hmm. I'm tired of third-act, 30-minute fights. Like, again, yeah. the, the thematic problem has been solved. Let's just deal with the problem quickly. Right. Um, and it results in, um, I won't spoil it, but she does a thing with Kingpin that is either the most empathetic thing a character has ever done for their villain or the most abjectly cruel and horrific thing a person has ever done to a villain in the MCU. Does she like, get the other eye? No. No. No, no. It's it's more psychological than that. It's actually <laughs> okay. pretty... I mean, that's uh, another thing before we kind of wrap up our discussion. I also just like that Echo is, like, kind of scary as a character. Like... Yo, know, she is. I would like, not... You're, like... Want to go wait. up against her ever. 
right? In terms of, like, characters I'm actually afraid to fight in the MCU. Like, I'm like... She's up there. Especially... Again, they take, I guess they take advantage of the fact that she can't quip or anything because it's like, no, she's not going to make a joke. She's going to fucking kill you. No. Like, there, there's a scene in a roller laser tag rink, like an, the 90s place that's ever existed, bowling right. laser tag roller rink. Um, mm-hmm. And she just goes full Batman. Like, it's like a fucking Batman scene where she's, like, fucking with the lights and, like, she's jerry-rigged explosives. I love... And she's, like, sneaking up behind people. That she just blares the volume all the way up. It has zero effect on her. <laughs> And instead, it's scaring the piss out of everyone else. Right, <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, she she Again. makes a gun out of a out of a roller skate. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's crazy. Ma- yeah, like these guys thought that like it's literally one versus like a hundred, and she's basically winning ninety percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and I guess like as I don't know if you have any final thoughts you want to talk about. Well, you know, I, I feel like we sort of inadvertently opened this discussion broadly you know about the the kind of I don't want to say like oh the state of Marvel because like we said it's so exhausting so talking fun. about like I don't want us to be Marvel's a part of that fun. discussion who cares you know <laughs> fucking, again we don't have stock in this company we love Marvel yeah, but at the end of the day if Marvel fails it doesn't emotionally okay. or monetarily affect us in any way shape or form and it's like let, let's be honest it's like you made a good point earlier when we were doing Internet Minute about, like, the difference between something feeling like a failure from the perspective of an audience member and, like, actual failure for a company. Right. I don't think we've had anything close to actual failure for Marvel. Right. Like, the Marvels is the closest they've actually gotten, and that is wholly because of circumstances beyond their control. Right. Uh Like, you want to know, and this is the best example. So now we officially have locked up the sort of box office for the year. You want to know what's so ridiculous about all of this discourse? What? Like, for all of the hand-wringing about MCU is dead, oh, Quantumania was the worst film that ever came out. I'm just going to say, if this is on anyone, on anyone's top ten worst films of the year list, you do not watch enough movies. I'm sorry. I hate to be gatekeepery about it, but, like, let's be serious people for one minute here. Right. Um... But anywho, like, Quantumania was eighth on the domestic box office. It was still a top ten film. And in general, it's so funny that it's like, Disney takes up, like, if you include Way of Water, which technically was last year's release, but it made money this year. Domestically, they had three of the top ten films. Again, like... It just feels different because the vibes. And honestly, I feel like so much of the problem with the MCU is the vibes. And that's mm-hmm. tough because it's not, there's only so much you can do to fix the, that outside of like, you know, talking. And I guess if yeah. I was going to levy one criticism is like, I wish, and it, it, it goes against the nature of how this stuff is done, but I kind of do wish Kevin Feige was a little more open about like the production history with some of these films, talking about like the struggles they ran into with the pandemic like, the fact that, like, so much of the discourse around the MCU is leaks to Variety and Bob Iger shoving his feet up his mouth, like, I just <laughs> think hurts because it's like, okay, you're fighting an asymmetrical war where one side gets to say whatever they want and you're expected to just be completely silent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think, I mean, I, and there's, like, I do think there are genuine problems for the MCU. I don't think those same ones that everyone else does like, I think the whole, oh, it should have happened in their endgame. It's like, 
we knew it wasn't at, like they announced films post Endgame before Endgame right. happened. Like, exactly. Come on. We knew a Spider Man movie was coming out before Endgame. You knew it wasn't the end. Yeah. And it wasn't even it wasn't even supposed to be called Endgame. It was supposed to be called Infinity War Part Two. But then like everyone got tired of the Part One and Part Two thing. Like, right. It literally only worked for Harry Potter and Twilight, and then every other franchise that did that was like, nope. looked stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Like they didn't even fucking finish Divergent. Um, but like, yeah. And even like the too much stuff, I'm like, I don't know. Like it was bunched up in 2020 cause it was all the streaming stuff. Cause that's all they could release. But it's like, how much, you know, we, we had like what three films this year. Mm-hmm. And then series wise, we had like two or I guess last year now. Oh, see you next year. Um, <laughs> and that problem's already kind of organically solving itself because like, you know, a combination of the strikes and just scheduling. Like, our only film next year is Deadpool 3, and then we have, what, Echo um, and Agatha. So, like, that's already solved. For me, I think the two biggest problems are, like, one, I think it was a big mistake to announce the uh, multiverse saga title. Like, because I think that, again, we talk about the MCU, and the biggest advantage the MCU has is people think it's this carefully planned out masterclass so then when things happen, you can be like, oh, they knew this from the start. They never. Right. Never. Again, if Thor underperformed at the box office and wasn't a surprise hit, they could have easily pivoted off Loki and made the main villain of the first Avengers movie Red Skull or the leader or someone new or just had Thanos show up. Whatever. Who cares? Um, but, the you know, they just had the advantage that Thor did well. Like, so much of this stuff shifts and changes, like, that, you know... It, giving yourself a branding of the multiverse saga, I think kind of puts you in a hole where it creates unreasonable audience expectations and kind of locks you into certain plans before you're 100% comfortable with them. Mm. Like, before you're 100% sure the audience is going to react the way you want it to. And, like, again, they didn't call it the Infinity Saga until literally Infinity War came out. And could you, like, if they announced that from the start, people would be like, wait, we have to care about rocks? Wait, what, where right. are these rocks? What are they? Why aren't they showing up? I'm confused. Mm-hmm. I don't like this. Exactly. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think this is something that I had to learn um, when, when I kind of first started my MCU journey, which is weird, about how, like, I think it's just a happy coincidence that it seems like they have everything planned out from day one. Even though, like, po- like post-post-Endgame and even now, the, like, post all of these, this sort of era of series, going back to watch things like, like, watching the post credit scenes after, like, The Avengers, mm-hmm. you're like, this is gross. And, and also, like, I don't, I don't think they meant for anyone to really pay attention to this very deeply. Right. Well, I get, like, they just like having... I mean, it's kind of a... It's weirdly fitting with, like, the problems. Because, like, the VXX stuff is a problem, but that's more of, like, an industry-wide sure. problem that the MCU just disproportionately affected. Like, they like using VFX because it lets you change things. It lets you kind of, like, micromanage and not get yourself locked into anything too soon. And that's kind of what the after credit scenes are, where it's like, well, this is a thing we could have. This is right. a thing we Who could knows? Use. And then I do think... It's not that there are too many releases. It's just, like... Okay, so, like, here's a good example... Wonka and um, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the new Hunger Games movie, they are kind of two of the surprise hits of this year where there weren't a lot of big surprise hits. And the advantage they have is they are IP. They are franchises. Again, this idea that there's this new golden age of, like, non-IP, uh, like, 
adult films is kind of proven untrue. It's more just people want, like, slightly more artisanal Mm -hmm. or, like, franchises that they haven't seen in a while. And it's like, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory came out in 2005 and the last Hunger Games movie was, like, 2012. So they feel very fresh. Whereas, like, the MCU has this problem where it's, like, the franchise, individual franchises get room to breathe. Right. But the whole doesn't. Because it all gets... Like, here's an example. The Marvels has this problem where it's, like, it's been five years since Captain Marvel, but it's only been a couple months since the last Marvel movie. So it's simultaneously caught in this, you kind of waited too long to release one, but also, ah, another one. Mm -hmm. And that's just, like, you, you know, you're fighting a war on two fronts there. And both of them are not inherently untrue, and that's kind of a problem. Um, And, like, while I think narratively they do a good job of appreciating, like, look, yes, it's only the second Captain Marvel movie, but she's been in enough of these. We don't have to do, like, this huge emotional arc. It can be a regular emotional arc. Yeah. Like, and I'd argue that's the same strength of Doctor Strange, uh, Multiverse of Madness, where it's like, okay, we can have him learn a smaller lesson here. It doesn't have to be the most important journey he's ever been on. Right. Um... But yeah, it's hard to like get an audience's mindset geared of like, you know, the franchise in the franchise. Instead, it just all blurs together as a big swirl of Marvel. Mm. And as for the artisanal thing, I mean, I would argue the MCU has tried to do that. The yeah. one time it's been emphatically completely successful is the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. But then it's yes. like people didn't like Eternal, you know, people didn't jive with Eternals and we're, you know, the the main MCU people really got mad about Multiverse of Madness and, you know, the Black Panther series kind of got kneecapped by the fact that it's hard to make a movie when your lead passes away. Right, right. Um, And then I guess you could argue Taika Waititi too, but again, you got him at just the time when audiences were turning on him and, like, look, Love and Thunder is a weird movie and you can tell that's one that got compromised a lot by, like, micromanaging Mm -hmm. and, like, sort of the COVID of it all. But, like, you can't say that movie isn't a Taika Waititi movie. I'm Absolutely. like, have you guys not watched Jojo Rabbit? Like, people complaining about the tone right. problems. I'm like, go back and watch Jojo Rabbit. You know he plays treats... Hitler, right? <laughs> yes. You know he plays Hitler. You know we have, like, him doing a silly voice for Hitler in the same movie where a kid right. looks up and sees his mother hung from a lamppost. Right. right? Yeah. Like, this man treats tone like a kid who turned on the hose and then forgot to grab the hose end. And now mm-hmm. it's just twirling around. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, like, I do think the MCU does have problems. I just think they are, like, much more smaller sort of industry-wide problems. Yeah. Like, they kind of get left And we just have bag. very high standards. Yeah, and again, it's like, when you run the industry for a decade, you kind of have unrealistic expectations and standards for right. everything to follow. Right. Um, and honestly, I do think a lot of their problems are just going to get fixed with time. Like, the releases are going to sp- be spaced out because the strike, you know, the COVID like bunchel is over and the strike stretched everything out Mm -hmm. like i love the people who when the stuff came out about like oh they don't have showrunners or pitch by or like story bibles for their tv shows and they're like oh what oh my god this stupid mcu and i'm like guys do you think kevin feige's a fucking idiot he wouldn't have gotten this far if he was dumb he knew all of this but you asked a film executive to somehow pivot his entire film apparatus into making tv that's not it's a, like, do not understand the infrastructure it takes to make anything. Like, you can't just build infrastructure out of nothing. So that's fixed because now it's like, oh, you know, Disney has to treat its streaming apparatus like TV and not something we can steal money from. Um, and yeah, I think just, like, I think a lot of it is just going to come with time and just sitting down and being like, 
all right, what stuff do we absolutely want to do and what stuff was, like, put on the docket because it made a stock line go up? Right. I mean, I don't know. Personally, I am kind of dreading this year for the MCU only because, as much as I like Echo and as excited as I am for Agatha, the fact that the only movie coming out is Deadpool 3, and Deadpool 3 has a very real chance of making a billion dollars, I think that is my worry. Disney learning the long wrong lessons from that. Yeah. No. Because... Deadpool, Deadpool looks doesn't like count. the right. Put that in a little bubble. It's the same thing with like No Way Home, where it's like, look, I don't hate No Way Home. I'm I'm generally positive toward it, but the fact that that was the biggest money maker of all of these because it was all like, hey, here's a guy, here's another guy, mm-hmm. you know this guy, yippee! Mm-hmm. Like the fact that those are the movies that are going to make the most money kind of makes yeah. my stomach sink a little bit where it's like you know marvels is just a nice well-made movie and it gets right. you know, left holding the bag for like years of like angst and until we're back back in new york fighting crime taking down kingpin's empire i'm carter and i'm sydney have a magical day and thanks for listening the disney desk is brought to you by carter and sydney Follow us on Twitter at Disney Desk for the latest updates about the show. Want more of the most magical podcast on Earth? The Disney Desk is now on Patreon. For exclusive weekly bonus content from us, go to patreon.com slash Disney Desk and become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Thank you. What kind of seagrams is that? Uh, diet. Or zero oh. sugar. Hmm. Hmm. I don't do sugary soda anymore. I gotta, right. It's driving me crazy, man. I gotta find Baja Blast. I'm dying here. Oh, I man. can't live in a world where Baja Blast is out in the world and I don't have it. Oh my god. I'm like the villain in an Indiana Jones picture where I'm like, I have to find the amulet. <laughs> Any amount of money. I'll kidnap a thousand children. Oh my god. Um, okay. <clears throat>